excited today. My sister, where's Rebecca? Yeah, my sister, Rebecca, and her husband, Patrick, and their daughter. And a couple of my niece and nephew are here, and my aunt and uncle, David and Courtney from Omaha, are down here. We had, we had a family get-together in the area this week, and there were 17 grandkids and in a swimming pool and all sorts of fun. It was, it was a great time. I'm a little, I needed yesterday to sort of recover from all that, but it was, it was a good time. <clears throat> but it's good to be here this morning. I'm excited today. We're, we're continuing our Summer Lovin' message series, and today we're talking about the theme of the least of these. And as I was thinking about this, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 25 in a minute, a uh, well-known parable that Jesus told, a story Jesus told. But I was remembering, it's cool that my sister's here, because I don't usually tell a lot of stories from our like, high school life, but this is one of those. Maybe I do. I don't know how many I tell. If you don't know, our family, when we were growing up, we moved overseas from Kansas to Taiwan. And when I was in high school, three of the four years were there in Taiwan, and it was in this international, international school that was established for missionary, for missionary kids, children of missionaries, and probably 30%, 40% of the students were, um, were from the business community. They were all international or else really wealthy Taiwanese students whose parents were, were rich enough to buy a passport from some other country because that's what it took to go to the school. So it was really a very cool environment, very international, um, diverse. Uh, very, most parents, most families were rather accomplished in their fields. And this Christian school, this missionary emphasis of people that had, were devoting their lives, the parents of these students were devoting their lives to go and bring the good news of Jesus to the nation of Taiwan, which when we got there was like 1% Christian, and actually now it's closer to 10%, so it's kind of cool to see that, that change. But there was one kid in my class, had been there since kindergarten, his name was Lee Jones. And you probably had a Lee Jones in your class or somewhere along the way. Lee was, his parents were not missionaries. His dad was a Vietnam vet who had been stationed in Taiwan during the Vietnam War and had married uh, a woman from Taiwan. And so Lee was their son. And their family, they had a lot of issues. There was a lot of of anger. Um, There was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of dysfunction. And Lee, from the time he, st- he started going to school, from, from what I hear, even as a kindergartner, was a very angry young man. He, he had a lot of rage issues. He, his, he, he didn't look very cool. He dressed kind of awkward. He tended to wear, he always wore his dad's old military jacket around and just didn't really have a lot of the sort of uh, social things going for him that, that matter a lot when you're going to middle school and, and high school as far as being accepted. And so it was, so here, here's, here's Lee, this kid with, with a lot of challenges. He's, he's bright, but, but troubled. And for year after year after year, he's going through the school. I remember in eighth grade, him getting, um, actually the teacher getting so mad, and this was a pretty frail kind of teacher, but at one point he got so angry with Lee that he put his, his hands around his neck and started to, like, choke him. And it was, it was not a good scene at all. But that was kind of the, like, the, the sort of emotions that would be engendered. You okay there, Marcel? <laughs> Start to squeeze a little bit. Um, there was a lot of, like, nobody knew how to handle, how to handle Lee. But 
but there were a lot of attempts, and I was, I was kind of friends with him. A lot of people were friendly. There were teachers that, that tried to reach out to him and help him, but it wasn't really working. You know, there wasn't a lot of evidence that things were, were, were taking with Lee. And, and that carried over to this, this Christian environment. He'd heard the gospel, the message of Jesus, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But Lee was not a Christian. And a lot of it had to do with just wrestling with the questions of the, the, the challenges in his life and his family background. And how could this be? And how could God allow this sort of thing? Well, in 11th grade, I was actually back in Kansas for a year in 10th grade. And then in 11th grade, we came back to, to Taiwan. And the same year, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, but I think that same year, a new family showed up at our school. And they were the Pontons. And the Pontons, they were a missionary family, but they, weren't, they were different than all the other missionary families. They, Mr. Ponton hadn't gone to seminary. He hadn't done advanced studies in theology or learning how to do cross-cultural ministry or things like that. He, was, he got a job as a, a maintenance worker at our school. And the Pontons were a very blue-collar, very ordinary, very... Um, not just that, but uncool family in the value system of our school. They dressed kind of funny. They looked kind of funny. They were awkward to be around. They, they just, it's kind of interesting. They, they sort of dressed like Lee, actually. And they sort of had some similarities with, with my friend Lee Jones. And it was, I mean, I remember, you know how, how high school, middle school, elementary school kids can be pretty, pretty cruel, but most of you are too young for this, but there was a cartoon that was really popular around this time in the early 90s. It was called The Far Side. Have any of you remember the far, know about The Far Side? I'm just curious. Okay. Yeah. Those of you that are over 35, it looks like. Anyway, it's hard to explain, but The Far Side was made of these characters that were awkward. They, they always looked kind of bedraggled and out of sorts and just kind of awkward. And when the Pontons showed up, everybody was like, it's the far side. Like they showed up at our school. And so they were stuck in this, this being judged as these not cool family. What was interesting is that Lee worked on the maintenance crew. And so he worked with Mr. Ponton and his two sons that were at our school. And a friendship was formed. And the Pontons began having Lee over at their house. He'd come over after school, after work, and, and hang out, and they'd play video games or whatever. I don't know what they did. He, they would, he would hang out there for dinner. They basically, this, this uncool family that everybody thought, like, How, who would let them be on the mission field? They don't really qualify. They reached out to Lee Jones and embraced him. And meanwhile, the whole school is making fun of, not the whole school, but there's a lot of unfriendly talk and behavior being extended towards these individuals. But the Pontons just embraced Lee, and he was like, he was one of their sons. He was part of their family. And they just adopted him in, and he was hanging out with them, and he became part of their family. And it's interesting that as that happened, a change started to happen in Lee. And he started to soften. His heart started to, to mellow. His heart started 
to soften. And really, he was experiencing God's love in a way that he'd never experienced before. And all of the questions and the issues and the stuff that was going on. And he was a very bright guy, and there were a lot of discussions and about God and about Jesus and should you believe and is he real? But really, the thing that began to penetrate his mind and his heart was this loving relationship with the Pond family. And it wasn't long after that where Lee Jones accepted Christ and became a Christian. And he went on, he actually went to a Christian college, he actually went to seminary, he actually now is a bivocational pastor who works in the computer field, but also is a pastor at his church, and is just an amazing guy. He's, he's married, has a family, he's, he's, he's endearing to be around, he's a, he's a model of, of the grace of God in somebody's life. But it all happened because the Pontons, the people that everybody thought, like, oh, man, let's look down upon them. They're the ones that reached out to him. And I look back at my years in this missionary community, this missionary school, and that is the greatest example of the gospel and the grace of God that I can think of among all these people with, with their expertise and their intentionality and their skill and everything that was going on. The thing that made a difference in his life was a loving relationship with someone that, that brought, them, brought Lee right into their family. And that's really what it's all about. That's how God's love is experienced. It's not through just reading a book or a talk, but it's through life-on-life -life relationships. And it doesn't take a PhD. It doesn't take intelligence or brilliance. It takes a heart for people to see people the way God sees them. And I want to read this story, because it, it really talks about this. The story Jesus told in Matthew 25, verse 31. I'm just going to read through this. This is 31 to, to 46. And then we're going to break it down and talk about it a little bit. This is Jesus talking. He says, when the Son of Man comes, and that's a, a word, a name, a title for Jesus. So when Jesus comes, when he returns in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So they're the ones that are judged acceptable, judged right in God's eyes. Those, they're, they're, they get the, the, good, the good reward. And then he says, why? Why are they the ones that, that are acceptable before God? He says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? 
or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now that's a very clear, vivid story, right? That Jesus has a way of telling a story that makes the point, and so that, that makes my job easier, because we just, there it is. I think pretty well, okay, I, I got it. There. We're going we're gonna to walk through and, and break it down a little bit here today. Um, this theme of, of loving the least of these. What, what is that all about and, and what does it take? Well, the first thing I, I think that stands out to, the, to me the most in this story is that Jesus identifies with the least of these. Jesus, he didn't only say, hey, you cared for those people. You, they were hungry and you fed them. They were naked and you clothed them. They were strangers and you welcomed them. No, he said, I was hungry and you fed me. He, when Jesus, you know, think about that. When Jesus sees the world, the people that he identifies with most are the people in need. And it's such a close identification. It's not just like, yeah, I care about them. It's like, I am them. And that's really the story of the gospel, that God became one of us. He entered our world. He became a person, he, and he became a person with the needs that we have. And he identifies with the needs of the world. Um, that's, that's where his heart is. That's who he's especially for. I think when I think of the story of my friend Lee and the Ponton family, it's like, man, that, they, they did that. They identified with Lee. And they saw Lee as, as one of them. And out of that, they, Lee ended up experiencing Jesus. And that's, man, that's, if we get nothing else today, it's like, wow, God, would you help me to have that heart, to, to see that you identify with the least of these. If I want to love you, one of the best ways I can love you is by loving people that are around me. That, that have needs. And that's, because, you know, loving God can be hard, especially if you're not like Marcel and Sharon, and you're like really good at music, because that's like, okay, worship. But I'm more of a practical kind of person. And I like this, in some degrees. I, sometimes it's hard, because loving people is difficult. But, it, okay, if I love this person who needs something, I can be loving God. I can be loving Jesus by doing that. That's, that's what God calls us to. Is really, as we love people, as we love people with needs, we, we're loving him. Um, second thing is that, and this is kind of obvious, but loving the least of these is very important. 
Like I told you, I'm a simple guy. But that's the message of this, this parable. Man, it's really important to love the least of these around us. And I think it's important, too, this is kind of a side note, but to realize we all are the least of these. And, or if there are parts of our life where we are, we are needy. And it may, be, it may be different than some, the homeless guy outside Walmart with the sign. But there are ways that we all are in that place. And, and, but also, as we experience God, God wants us to, to care about others like that. So, but loving the least of these is very important. You know, in this parable about the eternal judgment, isn't it for us who are evangelical Christians, isn't it a little shocking? The criteria for who goes to heaven and who doesn't? Because we hear over and over again, like, well, salvation is by grace through faith. It's not what we do. It's what God did for us. There is nothing in this story about trusting in what Jesus did for us or praying a prayer of salvation or anything like that. Right? Am I missing something? That's why you're looking nervous. Like. But the story should make us, is what makes us nervous because this is saying that the criteria is how do we treat the least of these? That is the differentiating mark of those that are God's people and those that are not. And that is the evidence of people that are in God's family and those that are not in God's family. So, man, this is, this is really, really important. We're going to break this down and talk about it a little bit more. But um, if this is really important, I just want to ask, ask this question for you all, for us. Think about this and then throw out your answers to me. What is it about... Or what are the biggest challenges for you, for us, to loving the least of those, the least of, the least of these around us? What makes this challenging? Go ahead. Just throw out your answers. Investing the time. Investing the time. Yeah. It's a time commitment. Yeah, I'm right with you, Courtney. That is a big deterrent. Yeah, good. Gets you out of your comfort zone? Yeah, how so? Like, I don't know, I just get so caught up in my schedule. I'm trying to keep it true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's like we have our lives and our plans and our schedules and what we have going on. And all of that gets us out of that into something different to, to love people. Yeah. Good. What else? Right. Yeah, cynicism, being jaded. Right. I, I was thinking about this story about the people in that story, some of them there are a lot, you can, the least of these situations, being hungry, being thirsty, being naked, being in prison, some, a lot of that is, happens to people just because of life is tough and the world is unjust and we live in a broken world. But some of that happens to people because of bad choices, too, right? A lot of, a lot of times people are hungry, there, there are bad, people are in prison, there were bad choices involved. There are 
bad habits involved. There are poor decisions. And so that can be a tough thing to navigate. Like, okay, first of all, first of all, it's just tough to love someone who's repeatedly making bad choices. Um, but then knowing how to love someone well is another challenge. Yeah, and to believe, like, okay, what's, it's very easy to be jaded. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Patrick, on that one for sure. Good. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Huge. I think about my high school story. You know, that was what, it wasn't cool. And really the Pontons needed people to love them, but that wasn't cool. And yeah, that concern of what other people think is huge. Another one I think of is that in our culture, a lot of the, the needs in people's lives are more hidden. It's not, I mean, there is the guy with the sign who's, who's homeless. And I'm so proud of the people in our church that work at the homeless shelter and volunteer in different ways. And our church does things like with our partnership with Shepherd's Crossing where we give money every month to help provide financial assistance to people in our community. And those are really important and really valuable. But a lot of the needs in our society are hidden. And the emotional need, the depression, the anxiety um, are hidden, and I, I think it's, it's interesting that the couple of the recent notorious the people of notoriety that have committed suicide, Kate Valentine, Kate Spade, yeah, her real name is Valentine. We're closer than the rest of you, so I call her <laughs> Kate Valentine. No, I didn't have to like. Who, I know that name, Kate Val, Kate Spade. But who is she? So I, not really close, but yeah, and then. Um, Anthony Bordeaux, right? Bordeaux, yeah. See, we're not that close either. But it was interesting when they committed suicide in the last about a, in the last month. There was a lot of attention to that the suicide rate in America has gone way up in the last 20 years. The depression rates have increased. Um, I think we all know enough to know that anxiety is a really big problem in our culture, and those are things that are not so obvious a lot of times. But there are real pressures in our culture that are leading a lot of people. I said the suicide rate, I looked this up, it's like for every 100,000 people, there are 13.5 suicides per year in America. So that's in Manhattan, that's like six or seven a year. And I think that's, that's really, really high. But then all that is happening, you know, especially at Fort Riley. There have been, I don't like, around 10 in, in the last 16 or 17 months, I think. I mean, it's just, there's, and, and there are more suicides now, there are more suicides among vets who are, among military, people in the military, than there were, since 9-11, since more people have died from suicide than died from the war. And so there, there's this, there are very, very real issues going on, but they're, they're hidden. And so, it's some, that's, that's a challenge to love people, and, and it's also the pride factor. That I think of people in my neighborhood with real issues, but, how, but they're, maybe, they're not out there saying, please help me. There's, there's a lot of pride in protecting of image and trying to be self-reliant that makes it hard in our culture. So, yeah. But, man, loving the least of these is very important. Well, back to the story. I just want to make a couple other 
um, points here. The, the next one is the one we've been hitting on all summer. And so I'm going to hit it quickly, but it's those who experience God's love who love. And we keep talking about this verse in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, where John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How could Jesus say, hey, you love the least of these, you're the ones in my kingdom? Because being in God's kingdom is not a matter of doing good, it's a matter of being born again. And being born again happens through faith in Jesus and trusting what he did for us on the cross. But when we're born again, the evidence of that is that we are changed and we will love other people. And so you can tell who's in the kingdom and who's not by who's loving other people. But to love other people, we have to experience God's love first. We have to be born of God. We have to know God. Like Sagar talked about last week, the, I love that, the gnosis. The, not just the knowledge of God, but the experience of, of God's love. We have to know that. And out of that, our, uh, we, we love other people. And then, similarly, if our faith is real, we will love others. If our faith is real, we will love other people. Jesus said, hey, this is how I can tell who's real and who's not. The ones who love the least of these, they're legit. The ones who don't, they're not. This is very reminiscent of what James wrote about in James chapter 2, 14 through 17, because it's sort of like, man, I thought I, was, I thought I was saved by grace, not by works. Well, James talks exactly about this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith, by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. So real faith is evidenced by works. Faith is not by itself. It's not just a mental ascent. Like, oh yeah, I believe in God. That passage goes on to say, even the devil believes in God. That's not what faith is about. But it's a faith in God that believes him and receives his grace to change us and leads to a changed life that loves other people. And why does it... It's interesting that faith and... so we're saying, You have to have faith to love people. If you have faith, you will have works, which the works are loving people. Why does it take faith to love people? I'll throw that back at you. Why does it take faith to love people? Patrick kind of said one thing. The, the, if we can be jaded. We can think, hey, it's pointless. This is just a con job. What's the point? Any other thoughts? You can think you don't have enough to give. That's the one that I think it comes to mind, that, that I deal with. Yeah. Because here's someone else with their need, and I got my needs, I got my problems. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I, I've got enough issues in my life, in my family. So how can I, if I help that person, then I'm not going to have enough for myself. So it takes faith that God is my provider. God is my source. He is for me. He gives me what I need. 
And because he's a God of infinite abundance, I can trust that as I, as I love others, as I let his love flow through me to others, that I'm going to have enough too. But that, that goes against the natural grain of thinking, right? It goes against the way we think, especially here in Manhattan, I think, where it's very self-reliant. got to take care of myself. Good. All right. So but if our faith is real, we'll love others. And then the last point I want to make here is that I've already made it, so I'm just going to make it officially now. This is the official proclamation. Physical, emotional, and spiritual needs all matter, too. Or all matter. Physical, emotional, and spiritual needs all matter. Uh, one of the families that's not here today is, is Dustin and Wendy Busick, and they're not here because there's another church in town, Trinity Canton Church, where the pastor's gone, and they asked Dustin to come talk today. And he's talking, I was just talking to him yesterday about this, he's talking about Mark 8, which is the story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people with just a little bit of bread and fish that he multiplied. And, but we were talking about this last night, and he said, yeah, it's amazing, because the story starts off saying, Jesus had compassion on the people. Therefore, he taught them for three days. And they went three days without eating any food. And then after three days, he fed them some food. But we're like, man, the biggest need, they, if someone hadn't eaten for a day or two or three, we'd be like, man, the biggest need in their life is get them some food. But Jesus didn't see it like that. He said, he saw that there was an even more important need that they had, which was their spiritual need. Their need to understand God's love for them. Their need to be reconciled to God. Their need to experience what they needed from God in their life. That was priority number one. And so he did that first for three days straight, and then he did the food also. And so it's important for us to realize helping people, it is meeting the physical needs, but it's also the emotional needs. You know, my friend Lee, it was really those emotional needs that he experienced love from people, that that's what really began to change his life. But all of those things matter in our life and the people around us. Um, and Jesus said, when he was tempted, he, he quoted the Old Testament in Matthew 4.4 4 and said, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's even interesting in that story. You know, the, the hungry, the people, Jesus said, you were, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. Those are physical needs. It's important that we meet those physical needs. He said, I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was a prisoner and you didn't visit me. Those are more emotional needs. There are a lot of people in our community that are, that are new or in transition or international students, refugees all over this nation now that are strangers, emotionally, more than anything else, needing someone to connect with them. And ultimately, spiritually, we need that. So, you know, I think about that, that when you look at the depression and the anxiety in our culture that's, that's increasing, a lot of it, I believe, boils down to the fact that we were not made to live without God. And we live in a society that the whole separation of church and state becomes separation of God from anything that matters. And we can't, we can't include God in any of this. And so people are, and we have a lot of material abundance. And so people are trying to live their life with, without centering on God, and without looking to God, and with our own natural resources. And that doesn't work. That leads to tremendous stress and anxiety, 
because we were made to be in relationship with God and, and relying upon him. Okay. So, as you've done to the least of these, you've done, you've done to me. I just want to wrap this up. Does anyone have any, any thoughts or questions before I, before I go there? We're nice and informal here today. Anyone got any burning questions? Okay. Well, I got one. Um, really, the, the, the question is, who, who, is, who is the Jesus near you? Who is the least of these near you? Because I believe that, I know, obviously, there, there are people all around us that are needing God's love. And there are people all around us that God wants us to be the one, to be like the Ponton family, to be the conduits of his love to others. And so I just want to leave you with that. Like, who, man, is there one person? Is there one person around me, God, that you want me to be the one who's there for them? Maybe it's someone you already know. Maybe it's someone you're already intentionally loving. Maybe, maybe you don't know yet, but God just wants you to open up your heart to be ready for that person that he wants to bring into your life. But that's how people experience God. And that's how we get to change the world, is by loving that person around us. And I just want to pray for us and ask that God would help us to, to see those people and to love them the way he does. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your... I just thank you today that you identify with, with us in our need. God, and even just first, first of all, we want, us, we want to acknowledge that we need you. That there are areas of our life where there's loneliness, there's physical need, or need of healing, need of your provision. God, we thank you that that you identify with us. And Lord, I ask this morning that wherever we are in those places of need, God, I ask that Lord, you, would, you would just show up in, in very gracious and powerful ways to meet us in the places of need in our own heart. God, help us to encounter you more and anew and afresh or for the first, for the first time in a transforming way, if that's what we need. And then, God, I, I ask that you would open our eyes to see you in the people around us. God, would you grip our hearts the way you're gripped? Lord, would we see people not just as, as people or as inconveniences, but Lord, help us to have your compassion. And Lord, would you empower us and give us your wisdom and to, to love people well around us. God, we thank you that you're doing that. God, I thank you that in the next year there are going to be people sitting in this room that, weren't, that hadn't known your love, that weren't part of your family, but that they experienced that through your people. Lord, we thank you for that. We trust you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.